You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. I'm going to be iconic. Welcome to the Alouettes Flight Deck, the podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouettes football. I'm Cliffy D, and you can find me on Twitter slash X at Cliffy D. And I'm Tim Kapper. You can also find me on Twitter, but at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. And this episode of the podcast is presented by our good friends over at SportBuff, where if you use the promo code Al's Flight Deck 10 at checkout, you will save 10% off your entire order. So if you head over to supportbuffshop.com, use the code, save percent, support local, and get some great merch. And the Elowitz Flight Deck is all over social media and the World Wide Web. Uh, make sure you check out our archive over at www.alowitzflightdeck.ca, where you will find all seven-plus seasons of the Alouette's Flight Deck podcast. Uh, make sure you give us a follow on Twitter slash X at Alouette's FL Deck. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck Pod. Instagram, you can find us at Alouette's Flight Deck, as well as threads, Alouette's Flight Deck. And by all means, folks, be sure to check out, like, subscribe to our YouTube page over at youtube.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck, where we will be, or where we have been, I should say, uh, archiving the Flight Deck live shows. And also, as of last Saturday, we'll be broadcasting live from our YouTube page, the Flight Deck Live Show. Of course, last but certainly not least, make sure you head over to our merch store at teespring.com slash stores slash Al's Flight Deck and make sure you support the podcast by checking out the amazing merch that's there now. Quick And a quick teaser for next week's show, Cliff. We have something when it comes to the, uh, uh, with our store and our merchandise and... Uh, a particular cartoon bird shirt. Uh, we have an idea that we that we want to pass by you guys. And uh, again, so stay tuned for next next episode and uh, learn all the info on what we what we're planning to do. So stay tuned. And also, by the way, speaking of YouTube too, hey Cliff, if you want to be notified of when we go live, because we now can we are able to schedule the shows, and you will know. Make sure you hit that bell button. Uh, when you go and subscribe or if you've already subscribed go and hit the bell button anyways that way you'll get a notification on your phone that we we are live when we do uh any of our uh, uh flight deck live episodes so can't forget mm-hmm. can't forget that buddy and and you know what considering what we we're able to talk about uh this week and what we talked about on flight deck live it, you needed to have it have the bell turned on to see the notification because Wow. Um, it, the game in Ottawa this week where the Alouettes have won, had won, I think it was like seven straight. They've now won eight straight. I don't think we would have thought, I mean, spoiler alert, I don't think we would have uh, <laughs> thought that the, considering the way that the first half ended is the way that the second half in the game was going to finish, did we? It was truly a tale of two halves, a tale of two teams, a tale of two Caleb Evans, however you want to frame it. it <laughs> That's such it, good. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I, I, my, my goodness. My goodness. I mean, <laughs> folks, 
what what are the great things about the Canadian Football League? And I know it sounds cliched at times, but truly no lead is safe. I mean, anything can happen, especially in the last three minutes of a Canadian Football League game. Truly, truly, truly anything can happen. And the Montreal Alouettes proved that to be true yet again with an absolutely incredible comeback from behind victory over the Ottawa Red Blacks by a score of 25-24. I mean, this game had just about everything, Tim. I mean, when you when you sit and think about it, I mean, just the highs, the lows, uh, the holy crap moments. I mean, th- there was a lot of everything in this game. Oh, yeah. Th- there really, really was because it's, you know, we, we obviously we made the trip to Ottawa because we love supporting the team and, and, and seeing everybody. And... Yeah, it's the, the rate we were going when we were there for the first half. We were like, "Why the hell are we here?" Because <laughs> it 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 was a dog's breakfast. There is no question about it. I mean, Ottawa came out. They they were inspired. They they wanted to play. They wanted to show up and show out for the for our nation for their hometown fans and uh, the Alouettes. I mean. It's funny, we we had noticed, too, that the, the Elwoods were wearing their alternate red jerseys. And yeah, that, that, that was the first thing, yeah. yeah. And But let's not forget, too, the Elwoods have not won wearing an alternative jersey in a long, long time. They debuted these jerseys on Canada Day and unfortunately lost to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, so right away we're thinking, oh, crap. I mean, <laughs> does, is this going to be a sign of things to come? And that after that first half of football, we were thinking, like, this is not good. This is just, this is not good at all. <laughs> no, the team had been outscored uh, 34 to 6 in, in, in 90 minutes of wearing those red jerseys. And we're like, oh, no. Because we've seen it before, Cliff, where a team will break out something. Everybody, you know, great. they look great. They get a great reception. But the team just plays like garbage in them, kind of how we do when we wear, when we wear white at home. Um, but hey, luckily there was another thirty minutes, and <laughs> and let me tell you, I I I I'm going to say this right now. I'm I'm putting it out there, one hundred percent. There is no team in the Canadian Football League that does halftime adjustments better than the Montreal Alouettes. Mm-hmm. Like. This, if this year has proven nothing else, the Alouettes, when it comes to making halftime adjustments, no matter how the chips are down, how the, how poorly they play in the first half, they get it figured out, and, and and they come out like gangbusters. And especially in the fourth quarter is when they really seem to come alive. But as far as – we, we saw a lot of this in 2019 as well. Uh, the, the team would look uninspired and just didn't seem like they knew what they were doing. They're trying to figure things out. And then, you know, flip the switch. And all of a sudden, they're this dominant, incredible football team that just, you know, runs everybody over. Uh, we're seeing that again in 2023. We're, we're seeing it again with the Salowitz team. And for my money, like literally no, there's no other team that does what the Alouettes does when it comes to like the first half versus the second half. It, it's it's really something to see. Yeah, no, I know. You know, as everybody knows, I mean, you know, Cody Vajardo was still listed as a third-string quarterback for this game, but was not going to start. Uh, and we had a feeling he wasn't going to come in anyways. He was just there as the emergency backup quarterback. Um, but again, Caleb Evans got a second straight start as a Montreal Alouettes uh, since he's been on the, on the Alouettes roster. Uh, outscoring the Red Blacks in the second half, Cliff. 
22 to 7. And scoring the last one with less than 30 seconds left, beating the Red Blacks 25-24 to, uh, to improve their record to 6-3, and three, which is their best start at the midway point since 2012, where they were also 6-3. and three. Again, as you said, everything could, that could happen in this game did and that's this is why this this game is just so fun to talk about. Oh, it, absolutely incredible! And I got to give credit to the Ottawa Red Blacks too. They they were scrappy. They were they were they fought to the very end too. I mean, they roared out to a seventeen three lead at the half, and at one point they're up uh, twenty four to ten. I, I mean, they just they kept on coming. They they wanted this victory just as bad, and did everything in their power. To try and secure the win, but I mean, I mean Montreal, they just they just hung on, and even when things were looking so grim, I, I mean, you're down twenty four ten, and then you kick a field a fifty yard field goal. I think okay, this team has given up. There's 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 nothing. Like what's what's going to happen? But Caleb Evans, man, like he he, he came alive, uh, and he he put this team on his back and willed them to victory. That there, there's no other way, no no two ways about it. Like that, that's exactly what he did. And I gotta say something to Alouette's nation. Uh, I, I I was reading the comments uh, on social media throughout the game, and I'm guilty of making some of these comments too. Like we we were saying, get Evans out of there. He's just, he just doesn't have it tonight. He, it, this is not his game. I don't know if it's the nerves of playing his former team in his former house. Uh, I don't know what it was exactly. It just, he didn't seem to have it. And I saw lots and lots of commentary, like just dragging this guy through the mud, but give him credit. Like he, he figured it out. He fought through it and he got the win. He, he made it happen. He got the win. And, you know, I, I, I think seriously, Alois nation, you know, I love y'all, but uh, if you haven't already, you got to make a huge apology to Caleb Evans. I mean, it's truly, this is the Canadian football league. It's, it's not how you start. It truly is how you finish the last three minutes. All, all that jazz, all those cliches. Caleb Evans did what he had to do. He, he fought through the adversity and came out smelling like a rose. I mean, he, he did the thing, man. I mean, and props to him. I mean, he, I, I'm eating my words too. Like I said, we were we were saying please put Davis Alexander in maybe he'll figure it out but mm-hmm. credit to this coaching staff they stuck behind their they stood by their man they 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 said no he's going to figure it out he's he's going to do it he's going to do it and he did he he did an absolutely fantastic job and you know it, it helps that he had all of his receivers working you know in tandem uh, William Stanback also too helping you know with a couple of nice runs as well i mean a lot of the things fell into place for Caleb Evans to do what he did. And it really did come down to leadership. And yeah. he definitely showed that, uh, you know, this, this could be his team too. Like he, he, he's a winner. He, he proved it last, uh, the week before in against Saskatchewan. And, you know, they can make any number of excuses as to why Saskatchewan lost that game as badly as they did. But Caleb Evans fought back. He fought hard and he persevered. And look what happened. Now he's two and zero as the starting quarterback for the Montreal Alouettes. Mm-hmm. You you got to take your hat off to him. He 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 did the thing. 
he did the thing and he did it extremely well. Yeah, I mean this this is a team Cliff did not lead the entire game until 14 seconds left in the fourth quarter. <laughs> well, the Alouettes are good at that. I mean, you think about 2009 Grey Cup, they didn't take the lead until the zeros were on the clock. Mm-hmm. And then I think game most, like this, wasn't yeah, it four, most most recently wasn't the win wasn't it the Winnipeg game? In Montreal, the Miracle of Mount Royal? Uh yeah, I, well, I mean, that, I think that would, yeah, that one too. Uh, I, I think there was like eight seconds left on the clock mm-hmm. when uh, they, they, they kicked the go-ahead uh, point after touchdown. Yeah. But uh, this team, man, <laughs> by hook or by crook, they, they find ways to win. And it, it, it really is something else. And my goodness, I, 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 like we were looking at each other dumbfounded. Mm-hmm. Afterward, after the game, like that just happened. That just freaking happened. Uh, and Alouette Nation, who was there, by the way, hey, props to them who showed up and stayed because it, it was, it was, you know, I, I, again, as you said, I even tweeted it out too. No lead is safe. So, by the way, this, this is this is this is how this is how the game went before we get into the real nitty gritty and into into all the the stats and what everybody did. Caleb Evans Cliff in the first half was nine of sixteen for ninety eight yards and two picks. Those two picks, by the way, as we know now, that turned into 14 points. Oof. That's what g- yeah. gave Ottawa that 17-3 lead at halftime. What What is that, by the way? Oh, yeah, that they're, they're down by 14 points. The second half, he was 15 of 20 for 235, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Yep, but... Uh... <laughs> That first half, though, like two interceptions, a forced fumble. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, he he just didn't look like like nothing was working for him. Like it's just, it just he he looked lost out there. Like he had a couple of nice passes, but by and large, he just you know, like and I hate to say it, but man, I saw a lot of Cody Fajardo in him, and I'm not saying it necessarily in a positive way. Uh, that first half, like you you doing that rollout that Cody does, and then the happy feet. Like I mean, a, a lot of the things that can be a little bit difficult to defend when it comes to Cody Fajardo. We yeah. saw a lot of that in Caleb Evans, and it didn't work for Caleb any better than what it would have for Cody Fajardo. Yeah, and by the way, I need to correct myself. One of the interceptions led to a touchdown. That fumble you mentioned led to the other one. So that other that other interception was near the end of the half. So I just wanted to make the correction. Yeah, still points off turnovers. I mean, that, that'll kill any team, or it should kill any team. But Ottawa, too, was guilty of that. Uh uh, was it Tyrell Pigrome uh, coughed up a fumble, uh, coughed or, and recovered by Tyrell Richards mm-hmm. uh, for his first uh, uh, fumble recovery. At of his, always, of his always career, nice. Yeah, yeah, that too led to uh, that led that led to points as well. I mean, that's the thing. If if you turn over the ball, like the, the, that was the theme. Like, I guess last Saturday was if you turn over the ball, it's going to cost you points. And, and, and we saw it like and for both teams. That's it's incredible. Like just <laughs> if for no other reason, you got to protect the ball. You you got to make smart plays, and you you just got to ensure that the other team doesn't take the ball away from you because they'll make you pay. Whether it was Ottawa, whether it was Montreal, points off turnovers will should and often does you in. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. Um, Caleb Evans, Grant, uh, to give him the entire stats was 24, 36, 333 yards, clip, two interceptions, two touchdowns. Um, 
Willie, uh, Caleb actually led the team in rushing yards with 49. He also had, obviously, that winning touchdown uh, with 14 seconds left in the fourth. Uh, William Stambeck had sort of an off game. Um, t- 10 attempts for 31 yards. Uh, did, you, did you notice anything out of the ordinary with Stambeck, or was it just the, the uh, Ottawa, Ottawa defense came to play? Ottawa defense definitely came to play. Um, you know, they... <sighs> You know, I've I, I heard a lot about their run defense being very tough as well, and I think William Sandback can definitely attest to that. Uh, yeah, I, once again, the, I think the uh, I think before this game, I think the the Red Blacks had won, I think two straight at home. So, and I, I, this was after going almost uh, two years, I think, with uh, without a home win. So mm-hmm. there was, I think, a little bit of pressure to keep that going. So obviously, this defense was extra charged up and wanting to help, help protect the house, if you will. So. Yeah, I, I I definitely see them loading up and trying. They also too just shows the respect they would have for a William Stanback because they know he had a chance he was going to break one off. Uh, he did end up with a, a reception that uh, he oh. turned into uh, thirty six yards, which was uh, which is working so per- well. Yeah, he ever yeah. since you know I think it's been two two years where you know the first year it was just so so at it, but and then he worked on it, and you've noticed consistently over the last couple of years when it comes to William Stanback getting a screen pass. Uh, out the backfield, he makes it well worth the pass itself. You know, we rarely see anything less than uh, less than ten yards when he does something like that because we know the boy can rumble. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I, I agree. With you. I agree. With you. But he, he's a double threat. That's the main thing. He's a double threat. Um, exactly. He can hurt you with his legs and with his hands too. It seems. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, leading receiver for the Montreal Alouettes, Cliff, was La Big Mac. Nine receptions on 13 targets for 116 yards. He was he had a, a, a longest of, of 23 yards, but still the big one, the big one, including uh, not one but two touchdowns. Tyler Sneed, second on reception yards with 98. He was perfect for the night. Cliff, he almost did the triple sevens, but he was seven for seven when it came to targets and receptions. 98 yards, two <laughs> touchdowns, uh, including. The touchdown, uh, what what would we call it? Was it the, uh, it's, it wasn't a gift touchdown because it was just a perfect play. It was the play that followed what could have been Caleb Evans' third interception, second time throwing in a double coverage. For what reason? I do not know. But <laughs> because of instant replay and automatically checking any turnovers with the command center, it was deemed incomplete, and on the next play, Tyler Sneed touchdown, and that started the Alouettes off on uh, on uh, taking this game. Yeah, and it's so funny that touchdown was very reminiscent of Ben Cahoon yeah, in I the 2009 Great Cup. I know the, the little dive, <laughs> everything. Like again, I, I I'm calling this kid Cahoon 3.0, and he really is living up to it. I mean. Even to the fact, the simple fact that he's wearing number eighty-five, like one less from eighty-six. I mean, which was Ben's number, obviously. Who's Cahoon two point oh? Uh, Bo Bowling. Oh yes, Bo Bowling. Yes, we, we talked about yes. So uh, yes. like, it's, I I, I got to give it's it's three point oh now. So I mean, like Tyler Sneed. I mean, it, and so many people are other people now are starting to notice comparisons between uh, he and Cahoon, and I mean, it's uncanny. I mean, just a. a, a Tough as nails, little guy. Uh, just you know, making those catches in the dirty areas, uh, getting those yards, scoring touchdowns like what Ben used to do. 
I mean, the similarities are are are, are incredible. I mean, this and like just what this guy lacks in size, he makes up for in heart and just a abil- sheer ability. Oh no, I, mean, I this agree. Guy, this guy, what a find! Yeah. What a find and, this guy! And, is. and just I mean, to give him his chance, I mean, as I said, we've seen him ball out since since training camp, and and sure enough, he's doing what he needs to do. And by the way, speaking of wide receivers that are doing what they need to do, and ones that really haven't been standing out this year, the other one that set up the game-winning touchdown was the fifty-one uh, yard reception by Herdy uh, Mayala. And I was like, where? was the defense you talk about getting frustrated with the rollout from caleb evans this time it worked perfectly because he he rolled out <laughs> he rolled out to the to the left and by god's grace there was myella wide open I thought, he, down, he was down, like a, down the sideline he was open all night like a 7-eleven my god i mean just like where was the coverage like talk about blown assignments like yeah. ottawa like the secondary just you know had been playing so well against Evans, like the, you know causing him to turn you know, to turn the ball over uh, again that turnover in the end zone that wasn't by Sherrod Baltimore. I mean, like this team, you you would have think okay they they had Evans figured out, but you would have also figured okay they've got everybody covered, but Mayala was all by himself. Mm-hmm. He's, I, I'm sure even he was thinking oh, re- really really oh nobody oh, okay then and he was off and. Yep. It, it was shades of the, of the Austin Mack catch a few weeks ago where he was wide open, didn't score a video that he had a long reception. So, Exactly. I mean, it's incredible. And that, too, was a third down play, if I, I, I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And, like, Evans just throws up the prayer, and here comes Mayella catching it. And he's literally on an island and just, you know, as you said, set, set the stage for the Alouettes to score the, the go-ahead touchdown uh, in, in absolutely spectacular fashion. I mean, you, you talk about the drama, and, and again, our nation, to their credit, was making noise. They were doing everything. They were willing their team to victory, and just you could tell Caleb in his own his old house, he wanted it just that much more, just a little bit more than what Ottawa did. And again, just speaks to the character, speaks to him coming through in the clutch, and wow, just. Absolutely incredible! Like we, everybody was sitting there, like their jaws agape. Like just like Alouette's fans were shocked because holy crap, we just made the comeback with with like less than thirty seconds to go. Ottawa fans, they thought this game was in the bag, and they just watched, you know, the Alouettes, or, or they just watched the Red Blacks snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Mm-hmm. And we've been there, our nation. We 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 know what it's like watching your team come oh so close and just having victory just slip through the fingers it unfortunately it do, it does happen and i we we feel your pain we really do like this was not something to gloat about i mean it's just talk about just the the sheer will to win for the alouettes i think that's really what it was over everything else yeah. and ottawa just yeah I, I i wish i could explain what happened like why things broke down the way they did but i mean credit to both teams it was Way too close for my liking. I mean, this, this was the kind of game like you are literally on the edge of your seat because could they pull it off? Could the Alouettes really, truly come back from a 14-point deficit and win this game? In a, a game that a lot of people felt the Alouettes should have been able to walk all over the the Red Blacks, even even though the, the, the Lions were saying, no, Montreal slightly favored. But, 
you know, this this really just goes to show like this truly is a game where you need all 60 minutes, 57 plus three, all the cliches, they actually applied and they were actually, they actually came true this past Saturday at TD place. Exactly. Just to round it out, William Stanbeck, we're talking about him for, with a great, uh, uh, with, a, with a great reception out of the backfield. Uh, he had uh, 36 yards and two receptions. Um, we also had James Tuck who had two receptions for 14 yards. And finally, uh, Courtney Davis had two receptions for nine, and Tyson Philpott had one for nine himself. He's been quiet as of late, but you know what? Everybody else seems to be stepping up. Um, one thing I want to ask you about, Cliff, uh, just on the Ottawa side of the ball um, real quickly is, and I'm curious to know your thoughts. You know, last week, obviously, the, the Alouettes did it, basically did it through the, on the ground rather than through the air. This week, it was, it was obviously just the opposite. But Ottawa themselves, uh, you know, they themselves almost had 190 yards of uh, of rushing uh, offense. Does that concern you? And I know we'll be talking about a little bit later about it, about the game itself. But does that concern you at all going forward? It's always a concern. I mean, we, we keep talking about how elite this defense is for the Alouettes. And they pretty well got run over uh, uh, i mean dustin crumb my goodness this guy was literally running all over the place and mm-hmm. that's what you've come to expect from this guy uh but there's there's a lot of times too where the the Elvis got caught flat-footed and uh guys like Devonte williams jackson bennett were literally able to run all over them yeah uh perhaps the most glaring example though was uh, tyrell pigram with a rushing touchdown I, I, lining up third and one he he, he just needed the the one yard and he's like, nah, screw that. I'm, uh, uh, I'm going to the house, and he sure, <laughs> breaking, he sure did. Breaking tackles too. That, that to me, I was like, what, what's going on? Yeah, that. And, and if, if anything though, like you talk about quarterbacks rushing for a touchdown, Dustin Crum, that, that touchdown, uh, <laughs> my God, that nobody was able to stop him, and that, that's his bread and butter. That, that's what made him famous. Is that, you know, his educated feet. I mean. And when when he he rushed in for that touchdown, that was kind of like a lot of people. I'm sure pretty much thought, okay, well that's the game right there. Mm-hmm. But because again, Evans just wasn't uh, wasn't clicking the way it, it took him a while to to really you know wake up and start making plays happen. But I mean, Ottawa is so dangerous on the ground; it, it's it's scary. Like I said, the, this team really truly. It, you cannot sleep on them. Like, regardless of what their record is, regardless of everything that's going on with them, they they've been decimated with injuries as well. They they've had their, you know, trials by fire, if you will. But I mean, th- this is a team that can be a threat on game day without question. I mean, they 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 definitely came to play. They could have just as easily got the W as well. I mean, it really it it, it really felt like with this game, it, this was like schoolyard football, sl- sandlot football, whatever you want to call it. Like, pretty much back and forth, back and forth, and whoever had the ball last was likely going to win the game. Yeah, yeah. I Again, it, you look at it, you look at it, a lot of the other stats here, I mean, it, that basically time of possession was equal. Uh, it, it it was pretty fitting, but, you know, you know, the Alouettes still led uh, by quite a bit in when it came to yards overall. But, I mean, it's, again, uh, finally in the second half, the defense stepped in. Uh, again, Sean Levin and the boys did their due did their due diligence and were able to control them. Again, they held Ottawa, dude. They held Ottawa to seven points in the second half. 
So you know, it, it, think of what it what it, it take away the the um, take away the turnovers in the first half. Can you imagine what type of game this could have been? My goodness, it's <laughs> man. That, that's just it. I, I, I think that's why probably a lot of LOS fans were so pissed off during the first half because like you're better than this. We know you're better than this, and maybe that's why there was the frustration and the the you know one you know calling for Caleb's head because we know you're better than this, and you know start playing up to your potential. And again, it's simple matter of okay, halftime. You you saw what happened. It was not pretty. This is what you got to do. And they went out and did it. They 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 adjusted. They started playing to their opponents. They started, you know, you know, playing that elite football that we we have come to start, start expecting from this team over the past few weeks. And they figured it out. And it's great. Like that. That's it's not good for the heart, mind you. <laughs> My goodness, but uh, it it makes for fun football. It, it makes for enjoyable, entertaining football. And that's all we really want is. We want to be entertained, and this Alouettes team, you know, it's crazy to think, but I mean, they, this team is just so much fun to watch. And once they get their act together, once they figure it out, man, there, there's just no stopping them. There really isn't. Yeah. Uh, real quickly, Dustin Crum for the uh, for the Red Blacks was 14 and 19 for 130 yards and an interception. That inter- that by the way, that was the interception at the end of the game, which almost was. <laughs> Which almost was brought to the house. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Reggie Stubblefield. I mean, this guy. My goodness, we we've been talking about him because he's given us so much to talk about as far as making plays happen. And you know what? He should have taken that to the house. He really should have. That would have been like the little salt in the wound. But you know, okay, fine. You know, you got you got it, and you know, kind of got tripped up. Like, okay, it happens. You know, I'm not gonna ask for push-ups this time, but you know essentially helped seal the win for the Alouette. So I got I got I got to give props to Reggie for that. I mean, he's just outstanding. Like this guy has been playing some incredible football and so happy. Once again, Tim, can you believe this guy was a last day of training camp cut? I know. Uh, a final cut. And now and look what he's doing now. That exactly. that's the thing. So, They've been able to gel as much and make make the modifications that they needed to. You know, so that's I mean, really what it that that's that's really what it comes down to is you know and, and again, folks, I, we keep talking about this. If you're a football player and you get cut in training camp, just stay ready. Maybe it's just not your time just yet, but you stay ready. You stay by the phone. Your number gets called and you're ready to go, and you prove that you're ready to go. Reggie Stubblefield is proof positive that when your your number gets called and you're ready to go. Good things are going to happen. Yeah, and and, and by the now, try, good good luck trying to get this guy off the field. Like, well, a lot of these injuries that have happened on the defense, like these guys are eventually going to come back. But I mean, at that point, like, how do you tell Reggie Stubblefield, no, no, you're going to hit the bench because so and so is back? Like, mm-hmm. no, no, I think they're going to stay on the bench. He's made and... a name for himself. He's made a name for himself. That that's the thing. So exactly. Um, by the way, three sacks again for the Alouettes uh, this week. Uh, another one for Sean Lemon. He's getting ever so close to that century mark. Uh, another one was by Mustafa Johnson, and the reason why I'm leaving this to last because this was the nastiest, nastiest sack I have seen in a long time. Tyrese Beverett put that bleeping hurt <laughs> on Dust on Dustin Crumb with this sack. It's like he was shot out of a cannon. Yeah, just put the wood to him. My goodness, I mean. 
man. Once again, this is this. These are the plays you have to make. These are these are the guys you expect to step up in this Noah Thorpe defense and make noise. And sure enough, I mean, Tyrese Beverett, man, just one of those guys that is just so much fun to watch. And you know that on game day, he's doing everything possible to make the opposing quarterback's life a living hell. And he mm-hmm. does it so nicely. He, he does it, I won't say to perfection, but he does a damn good job of it. Yeah. Uh, with the win, the Alouettes, are, as I mentioned earlier, are 6-3. and three. They've now won four straight. Um, uh, and... Uh, I'm sure it's no coincidence that ever since the Alouettes shines, signed Sean Lemon, that they're four and zero. I mean, dude, I'm not gonna it, complain, man. <laughs> it, 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 it it's incredible. I mean, again, and I'm not saying he's the sole reason why they're four and zero, but yeah, the his contributions modif- is slight modifications. Like, you know, with uh, uh, with uh, Ento being moved to the other side, and yeah, it's it's been everything. It's been everything what, what this team has done. So. Yeah, and, and and credit to this coaching staff. They they get the you know, despite you know, for example, like uh, the huge win against Saskatchewan is good for the morale. It's good, but it's all like okay, you celebrate the win. Twenty four hours later, you're back to work, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's the mindset you've got to have, and that's what keeps these guys grounded and makes them realize, okay, yeah, you won last week. That was last week. That's in the past now. Let's focus on today and what's to come. And that's what this this coaching staff has been able to do with this with this organization, and it's it's just it's so much fun to watch. It is so great to see. Like Alouette's Nation has to be just vibing on how incredible this is. It's it's not pretty the wins, but my God, winning is fun. There's no question about that. Yeah, that's true. And obviously, we got a big game coming up this week, Cliff. And uh, we felt uh, what better way. Uh, to talk about the matchup versus the Blue Bombers and to bring in somebody who knows exactly what he's talking about, didn't we? 100%. Uh, we're, we're so excited to have uh, Darren Bombing back from Bonfire Sports out in Winnipeg. Uh, he's been doing the thing uh, as far as uh, coverage for the Blue Bombers. Uh, lots of great insight, lots of, uh, you know, just uh, helping to understand the perspective from things in Winnipeg. Because we got to see this uh, Blue Bombers team on Canada today. And it's not going to be the same team that the Elwoods are going to be facing this coming Thursday. So uh, had a lot to talk to with uh, Darren about. So um, without further ado, let's bring in Darren and let's talk about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Montreal Elwoods. Joining us this week to preview Thursday's game between the Montreal Elwoods and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers is a Winnipeg institution. Uh, he is the creator of Bonfire Sports. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the flight deck once again, Mr. Darren Bauman. Darren, welcome back to the Flight Deck. Hey, that's quite an intro. I appreciate that, guys. I was born and raised a uh, Winnipegger. I've, I've never heard myself uh, referred to as an institution, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, like the work you've been doing uh, in Winnipeg itself, not just for the Bombers, but for the Jets and uh, and the Rifles. I mean, you listen, as far as I'm concerned, you're a Winnipeg institution. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, uh, I mean, not not quite we, on the uh, level of Slurp, Seven uh, Eleven Slurpees, mind you, but uh, still pretty <laughs> no. good, pretty good. You know, they're, they're they're still Winnie the Pooh, they're still Chris Jericho, and they're still uh, uh, Slurpees. That's for sure. <laughs> it, it would be pretty hard to top uh, Chris Jericho. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is big. He is big. <laughs> International. That's great. I love that. <laughs> Darren's just below Slurpee. Uh, 
Oh man! All right, we, so 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 we've got the second time that these two teams are going to be taking on each other. Uh, first game was Canada Day, which was a weather delayed affair that saw the Bombers hand the Alouettes their first loss of the season. Uh, as far as the game goes, I know like a lot of the starters didn't play for Winnipeg, but also too Montreal had a couple of injuries as well. Uh, what are your what are your initial thoughts going into this second tilt uh, between the the Bombers and the Alouettes? Like, what are you looking to see? Like, what are you looking at initially, and what are you expecting to see on Thursday? Yeah, I think it's going to be a really intriguing game. I, I'm really interested and, and intrigued by it because uh, I think both of these teams are much different than they were on July 1st. You know, that win uh, helped Winnipeg. Uh, you know kind of begin a streak of, uh, of some pretty strong football outside of, um, you know, uh, an overtime loss to Dustin Crumb and the Ottawa Red Blacks. Now that was the Crumb back and, and a pretty um, impressive comeback from that team where I think Winnipeg just fell asleep in the second half, but that win over Montreal on Canada day that you talk about uh, was a big one for Winnipeg because they were coming off a 30 to six loss at home of all places to the BC Lions. And that was the first Western division team to beat Winnipeg at IG field in five seasons. So uh, the way that they were able to rebound was big for Montreal. I remember at that time, yeah, you, you mentioned it was their first loss of the season. They entered two and O and then they went on to lose their next two games. And at that point, people were kind of wondering, okay, is Montreal for real? Are they going to be able to put up, um, you know, a, a serious contention, uh, in the West Division, or sorry, in the East Division. And, you know, since being at two and two, I think Montreal has played exceptionally well and very exceptionally well without Cody Fajardo over the last couple weeks. So to get Fajardo back and to have the defense the way Montreal has been playing lately, um, of course, Winnipeg will have Zach Kolaris back. So, so two QB1s making their return from injury. Um, but I really look at the defenses and how Winnipeg's defense matches up against uh, Cody Fajardo and, and a real balanced uh, Alouette's offense and the way that um, Zach Kolaris and, and Brady Oliveira and, you know, we know how dangerous their receiving core is, how that matches up with, um, you know, a defensive unit in Montreal, guys. I've been incredibly impressed with as of late. Maybe not their best game, uh, you know, th- this past week, Um in uh, in Saskatchewan, or pardon me, um, in Ottawa. Yeah, in Ottawa. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe not their most uh, you know impressive game there defensively, but they did enough, especially late, uh, to keep Ottawa at bay and uh, you know help a young quarterback in Caleb Evans capture the victory. Uh, talk about Zach Caleros. I mean, he's missed the past couple of games because of uh, either head or neck injury. I guess depending on uh, how the injury report stands, but uh, obviously with uh, Claris's history with concussions and such, uh, it, would you say that uh, having him back in the lineup, would that say that he is 100% healthy or is it just a matter of keeping the momentum going as far as uh, Winnipeg being one of the top teams in this league? Yeah. Well, like when, when you're talking about head injuries or neck injuries, which are effectively the same thing, it's the spinal cord, it's the brain stem, it's all of that. Right. Um, and of course, there can be injuries in the neck area that are beyond that, injuries of the head that are beyond, um, you know, to the brain or, or to the spinal cord. Um, but 
when you're talking about those things, uh, you, you always kind of have to be cautious and you have to be aware that, um, you know, something that looks kind of inconspicuous can be serious and something that looks more serious could be a pretty minor thing. You know, all things said here in Winnipeg, uh, it is uh, said to be a minor neck injury that kept Kolaris out last week. Um, and, uh, you know, I think if the backup quarterback situation in Winnipeg was different, then maybe Kolaris would have been, um, you know, looked to to, to return uh, for that next game. And I don't think uh, that would have been out of the question. Drew Brown played really well against Edmonton, obviously in mounting the 22-point comeback uh, after Kolaris went down to injury. And he played pretty well uh, against a good defense in Calgary last week as well and helped Winnipeg uh, edge uh, the stamps to, you know, in a one point victory, but for Kolaris, uh, I do not think that the head injury history has anything to do with this injury. You know, in talking to Kolaris this week, he said, you know, that hit hurt a lot. And that's generally not how somebody would talk about a, you know, a, a uh, you know, a collision with the head or uh, a, you know, a concussion or, or something along those lines. I think he probably just got bent by Coney Ely. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys want to get into, uh, you know, Kolaris' comments uh, from the other day where he said that the CFL has never really done much to protect quarterbacks. Uh, and then, of course, the hit itself, not penalized and, uh, you know, not fined for or anything like that uh, for a quarterback that had the ball out of his hands and was on his belly. Um, but uh, in the end, you know, I think Zach Kolaris, especially from what I've seen in practice, I, I'm confident that he is as close to 100% uh, as a player could be. Any player, uh, just with the, the rigors of a season, you know, as close to 100% as a player could be uh, at the midway point of a, a 21-week CFL season. I, th- I find it interesting, right, too, man. by the way, two types of similar situations where, you know, both of our quarterbacks are coming back with a, a, an upper body injury and to say, you know, with the Alouettes and Cody Fajardo being out for the past two weeks for having, you know, being out specifically, not for an injury with his throwing shoulder, uh, the uh, shoulder on his throwing arm, but it was just the opposite. And, you know, and, and how him and uh, obviously Coach Moss have been very coy about, uh, you know, what Cody's been able to do and stuff like that. You know, him being off for the last two weeks. And what I find is funny, Darren, is that him coming in this week and being able to go back to be being listed uh, as a starter on the depth chart. But Cody uh, only had, you know, it's a short week for the Alouettes. You know, one practice, that's mm-hmm. it. And, and the thing that Cody's been talking about is that it's not necessarily worrying about getting hit. It's about after, you know, I guess basically being tackled and, and hitting the ground where it may potentially hurt the most. So it's, it's, it's I kind of find it interesting how both these quarterbacks are going to be, you know, starting against each other for the first time in a couple of weeks and very type of similar things where, uh, uh, you know, it seems that the head coaches have been overly cautious. And as you just said, it's a 21 week thing, 21 week season. But I, yeah. And, and even with the, the, um, the comments from, um, you know, the quarterbacks, you know, it, at least the coaches, when it comes to the quarterbacks, they know when to keep them out, even if they don't feel that the CFL is backing them up. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and hey, let, let's let's be real about it. We know the importance of the position in football as a whole, and especially in the Canadian Football League. Like, it's been a number of years now in a row where 
we have seen teams lose their number one quarterback and their season really kind of goes off the rails a little bit. We've also seen a couple seasons uh, as of late where we've seen 20 plus quarterbacks start games uh, in a 19 league. And, and that's just too many. Like this season, I think we're already at 23 different starting quarterbacks. And that's, we're at the halfway point of the season. It's too many. So, you know, the, the conversation and the debate and, and everything that goes around protecting quarterbacks, I think is a valid one, but it's also a big one, right? It's a big conversation to have. Um, as far as how Mike O'Shea and how Jason Moss handle their quarterbacks, they're always going to do everything they can to ensure, number one, that their quarterback is healthy, number two, that they are prepared, and number three, that maybe the outside world, the public, anybody outside of those, you know, uh, uh, locker room and, and office facilities don't really know exactly what's going on. Mike O'Shea has always played cloak and dagger, always kept his cards very close to the vest. Jason Moss, I'm starting to see him and even other coaches in the league kind of pick up on Mike O'Shea's uh, approach to that. And, you know, I think of Jason Moss's comments a couple of weeks ago saying, well, if I was a betting man, I would think Cody Fajardo would play and he didn't. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, these coaches are worried about their teams. They're worried about, uh, you know, having everybody available. And, you know, when it comes to a short week and, and only getting a practice or two in, I think it's the mental approach, the mental practice, those mental reps that are as important as anything for a quarterback. Do they need the reps on the field? I don't necessarily think so. I think as long as they're able to mentally process their preparation. Uh, and then, of course, they're going to go out and, and throw the ball around outside of practice hours, right? Guys are going to want to get those extra catches in. Guys are going to want to get those extra throws in, those extra routes run and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, in no way, shape or form do I think these elite pro athletes are, you know, going to miss a day or two of practice and have that, you know, uh, get in the way of them being fully ready to play when the lights are on. Mm-hmm. Speaking of when the lights come on, uh, how how happy are Winnipeggers that Kenny Lawler is back in the lineup? He missed the first few games because of uh, uh, reasons, but how how to have one of the premier running uh, receivers back in, in the in the lineup? How how happy are Winnipeggers to see eighty nine back in the lineup? Yeah, immigration issues for those that uh, you know aren't privy to the the details of it, but. Um, you know, uh, was convicted of uh, uh, drinking and driving two years ago. Uh, that took about a year to work its way through the courts. Uh, and he pled guilty this past spring. And everything was in order for Kenny Waller to return and, and play and signed a free agent deal to return to Winnipeg once again. Uh, and then about a month, uh, you know, uh, I would say, you know, around a month before the season started and with, you know, with training camp already underway, they realized there was an issue. And that was that, um, you know, the paperwork wasn't filed properly and that Kenny Lawler, out of no, um, you know, fault of his own in this instance, the instance of the paperwork, he was unable to work legally in Canada as an American resident who, you know, has a a conviction of a crime uh, in a foreign country. So Lawler was not allowed to be in the facility, not allowed to be in regular contact uh, with his coaches, his bosses, his Um, you know, work colleagues, that sort of thing. No doubt he kept casual contact uh, with his teammates and that sort of thing, but was not allowed to, you know, effectively work uh, while he missed a a good stretch of time at the beginning of the season. But 
Yeah, to answer your question, no, no doubt Bombers fans are incredibly excited to see Kenny Lawler back in the lineup and, and catching passes again. Um, the Blue Bombers have not been shy to throw him right into the fire and um, throw the ball to him early and often. And we're already seeing why he has been regarded number one, number two, maybe to Geno Lewis uh, as the top receivers consistently over the last number of years in the CFL. He already has a 200-yard game this season. Uh, he's an incredibly confident young man and, and uh, still you know, sets goals for himself that are incredibly lofty. But I don't blame him. He's on one of the best teams in the league, you know, with a two-time MOP, reigning MOP, uh, throwing them the football and an offense that is balanced uh, with a strong run game um, and other weapons around him, namely Nick Dembski, uh, Dalton and Dalton Schoen, you know, and there's others as well that have, have had big seasons so far. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's been a heck of a lot of fun watching Kenny Lawler. I personally think now that Brian Burnham is retired, Lawler probably has the stickiest hands in the CFL. You can throw a ball kind of anywhere near him. His catch radius is incredible. And if he's able to get a couple fingers on it, he's probably going to bring it in. It's really something to watch. It's funny you mentioned uh, Brian Burnham and Gino Lewis because uh, couple, uh, I think it was a, I think it was the second time we interviewed uh, Gino on the podcast. He had asked, he asked us who we thought the best receivers were in the CFL. And my first answer was, you know, not sound biased, but him. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the next ones were Kenny Lawler and Brian Burnham. So it's it's it's, it's incredible go. how you can't hide talent. There's, there's no question about that. And Kenny Kenny Lawler is, for my money, still one of the premier receivers in this league. Yeah, he does it with his hands. He's also just very very good running routes. You know, he's he finds ways to get open against the best cover players. Uh, you know, cover defenders in the CFL. And you know, when you mention Geno Lewis and Brian Burnham, it's funny, Cliff, that. Uh, those two in particular uh, have been the, my favorite players to watch. I grew up playing receiver. I grew up idolizing those guys in the NFL and in the CFL. And, um, you know, obviously being able to watch Milt Stiegel up close and personal here in Winnipeg when I was a younger kid um, were all very inspirational things. But now as I, you know, uh, cover this league, uh, you know, for a living uh, and it's my job, I still get a ton of, satisfaction watching those guys that you can see put in the work and put that work and match it with their, you know, pair it with their talent. Uh, and that's why you get guys like Gino Lewis and you get guys like Brian Burnham that are so good and been doing it for a long period of time. Um, they're just outstanding athletes and, and just, again, a heck of a lot of fun to watch. Without question. Uh, let's take a look at the defense here. Uh, Mario Houston. Where did this guy come from? Because this guy plays like his hair is on fire and has just been simply outstanding this season. Yeah, he's a little bit of a riverboat gambler. You know, he, he's a guy that uh, will take risks and takes opportunities to steal the football away. Um, you know, he, he's a very athletic, very sharp young man uh, that uh, is really uh, sinking his teeth into his second full-time season in the CFL. Um, for those that, you know, haven't followed the Boo Bombers particularly closely, and I know that that's pretty much everybody outside of Winnipeg, um, Demario Houston actually uh, secured the starting boundary corner spot with the Blue Bombers last season when Winston Rose was injured. Uh, again, this season, Winston Rose um, suffered an injury in training camp, and it was Demario Houston 
being the first player to get the tap on the shoulder uh, to start at that top cover corner spot. Um, he is uh, a heck of an athlete. He's had an outstanding start to the season, and it goes beyond his league-leading seven interceptions. It is uh, fumble recoveries, forced fumbles. He is responsible for uh, being part of 10 takeaways this year. And if you look at that metric against other defenders in the CFL, there's few, um, if any, that are in uh, even the, the, the same stratosphere as, uh, as Demario Houston is right now. Yeah, I, I just get the impression, just for the couple of Bomber games that I have watched to completion this year, I, he's just, it feels like he's everywhere. And it's almost to the point where you just don't want to even try this guy. Like, I, I don't see any opposing quarterback willfully trying to throw in his direction because they they have to know this guy's going to snag it one way or another. Well, it's interesting you say that because I believe fully that the reason Demario Houston is around the football so often is because of the player that lines up right next to him at the boundary halfback spot. Dietrich Nichols has been the best kept secret in the CFL for the last two years. And I mean, bar none, there is nobody in the league that is, um, you know, that quarterbacks shy away from more than the player that wears number one in a Winnipeg Blue Bombers uniform. He is, I think, top five player in the CFL, quarterbacks included. Um, Dietrich Nichols just doesn't have his name mentioned on broadcasts because the ball just doesn't come his way. So you do see Evan Holm, the halfback on the other side. You'll, um, you know, see Winston Rose and Demario Houston. Um, you know, the Bombers have had a couple different players at the dime or the strong side linebacker spot this year. That is where opposing teams go with the football because Dietrich Nichols is just kind of a no-fly zone. Uh, you know, Darrell Rebus of the New York Jets, uh, years gone by, it was Rebus Island. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, people started calling Dietrich Nichols the, the same thing as, you know, Dietrich Island. I like to call him the human tarpaulin because he covers everything. Uh, Dietrich Nichols has just been uh, outstanding. And I think that's a reason why uh, Demario Houston has been, had the opportunity to lead the league in the, uh, lead the league in interceptions this year, because he has, you know, more balls than not thrown his way. And you just don't see Dietrich Nichols uh, getting targeted often, if ever. It's like they say, if the left one don't get you, the right one will. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. All right. When it comes to Winnipeg, uh, again, I think a lot of people, like a lot of non-Winnipeg people, were waiting for this team to start to falter. Even though despite years of, you know, you know wondering if this team was ever going to get to a great cup and win it, and then after becoming back-to-back champions and almost becoming three-peat champions, it, it feels like now people are back on hating on the Blue Bombers because they're so good. Uh how do they maintain this momentum as as far as being one of the, as I said, like one of the top tier teams in this league, along with like the Toronto Argonauts and the uh, BC Lions? Yeah, how do they keep the momentum? I mean, the reason they have been as good as they have been is for one reason. It's because they approach every game the exact same way. They look to get to 1-0 and every single week. And it doesn't matter if they're playing a winless team or they're playing one of the top teams in the league. It uh, doesn't matter if they're facing a veteran quarterback or a young quarterback or a vaunted defense or uh, a youthful team. Uh, injuries on their side of, of the equation or injuries on their opponent's side. Uh, Winnipeg is just incredibly focused, and that's obviously something instilled 
by head coach Mike O'Shea. Um, as far as the, the, the greater league perspective on Winnipeg, of course, everybody hates the team that wins and wins and wins, right? And uh, every team, I think, in the CFL, every franchise kind of goes through those uh, dry years and, and then more fruitful years, right? Um, the Anthony Calvillo years in Montreal. Everybody here in Winnipeg hated those times because the Blue Bombers were struggling, right? Uh, the Calgary Stampeders maybe most recently and their championship pedigree type years and, and dominance of, of being, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 win teams uh, and making it to the Grey Cup year after year raises the ire of, uh, you know, the, the fan bases in other markets. Here in Winnipeg, well, they went, you know, the Blue Bombers went 29 years without a Grey Cup championship. That was a huge stretch of time from 1988 to 2019. And, uh, now it seems like uh, the work that they have put in uh, with general manager Kyle Walters, head coach Mike O'Shea, president and CEO Wade Miller, who is number three in the all-time uh, uh, special teams tackles list in CFL history. You know, all these guys played in the league, are Canadian, and know what it takes to win in the CFL. And when they, that trio, they call them the Canadian Mafia, mostly because Dave Dickinson gave them that nickname, uh, mm-hmm, a, a mm-hmm. very infamous moment uh, where the TSN microphones picked up uh, the head coach of the Stampeders saying that, you know, the blanking Canadian mafia uh, being <laughs> that th- those three guys, um, you know, there's T-shirts made up here in Winnipeg and it's kind of, you know, part of the lore now. But when Wade Miller, Kyle Walters and Mike O'Shea took over in 2014 uh, in earnest uh, and rebuilt the team from bottom up, the last three or four years is is the fruits of that labor, and it's the um, you know the the culmination of that vision that they put out. And there were tough times in there as well, where you know 2015, 2016, uh, you know the Drew Willie era prior to him joining the Montreal Alouettes, of course, um, where they thought Mike O'Shea would maybe lose his job here in Winnipeg. Uh, they remained steadfast and uh, continued to work on instilling a culture. And now you have those veteran players teaching the younger players. As those veteran players move on, the young players move into those leadership roles. And it's kind of a hands-off operation in the locker room. Mike O'Shea is not in there talking to the guys. So, you know, in, in telling you guys this, it kind of gives you a picture of why the success has been there. Uh, will it ever event like will it will it go away eventually it always does nothing lasts forever but um you know as long as willie jefferson is playing to the level he is as long as uh, uh adam big hill is the leader he is on and off the field as long as zach Kolaris is playing at an mop level uh as long as uh you know a lot of those role players and star all-star caliber players that play their role so consistently well as long as all of that's happening uh, and they've been safe, relatively speaking, from the injury bug to, uh, you know, missing too many of those big players for long stretches of time, they're going to continue to win because uh, of of that culture uh, and and of that day-to-day, week-to-week approach uh, of just focusing on getting to 1-0 every single game. It's it's been impressive to watch. Uh, Again, it's to use another wrestling uh, term, like Ric Flair says, to be the man, you have to beat the man. And, I mean, the, the Bombers have proven it uh, the, over the past couple of seasons. They essentially are the men. They are the team to beat in the Canadian Football League. Yep. And, you know, when uh, when the Toronto Argonauts lifted the 109th Grey Cup uh, last November in Regina, it was because they were the better team on that day. 
And we've seen, obviously, the belief uh, that the uh, the Toronto Argonauts have in themselves. And obviously, they've added some pieces uh, in free agency. And now Chad Kelly, of course, being uh, their number one quarterback. But the way they were able to hang in that game, and, you know, some have argued the Blue Bombers beat themselves. Um, but the way the Toronto was able to, to hang in there and then to win a championship against such a consistent, dominant team in the Blue Bombers, I think that's a big reason why uh, there is that belief and there is that consistent level of performance from the Toronto Argonauts uh, so far to start uh, 2023 because they did beat the man. And uh, they've always kind of, you know, they've got that feather in their hat. They've got that ring to brag about and those bragging rights until we see uh, who's lifting the mug uh, in late November this year. Mm hmm. Now you know. Wow. Let, let, let's go and let, let's look at the game for for this week. Um, you know, we, we've already played once this year. In your opinion, if you're looking at these these two teams versus you know now than what they were on Canada Day, how how well how different are these two teams going up against each other this week? Yeah, I mean, I think both teams are more battle tested. I think both teams, um, you know, have, have learned different ways to win this season. Um, you know, to me, I, I think these are two very, very well-coached teams, and that goes beyond their head coach. You know, great coordinators on each side of the football, and including special teams uh, for both of these football clubs. So um, I think when you have two very good teams, two talented teams, um, it, it's really going to come down to who has the better game plan. Um, that's kind of the, the strategy and, and the, uh, the preparation part of it. Then on game day, who is going to bring that physicality level? Uh, so often, uh, I believe, and I've, I've you know, really thought this for a long time, the pundits, the fans, the media types uh, often overlook the true nature of professional gridiron football. And that is, if you can smack your opponent in the mouth and they're not able to smack you back at the same rate, uh, you know, either with, with consistency or with fervency, um, then you're going to uh, win more football games than you're going to lose. And I think if you're able to bring that physical intimidation and that, uh, that level of physical play pretty much every time the ball is snapped, you're going to have the, uh, a real market advantage uh, in the football game. Uh, as far as where the game is being played, it's important to lay out that this game will be played in Winnipeg. They had 29,000-plus fans at their last home game uh, against uh, the BC Lions uh, three weeks ago. They have 30,000-plus expected to be on hand uh, on Thursday night. And then the Banjo Bowl, which is uh, the back-to-back of the Labor Day Classic with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, that game is sold out, as it is every year. So there will be 33,500 fans uh, in attendance for that game. So with 30,000 on Thursday night, when Fajardo is on the field, uh, no doubt Jason Moss and the entire offensive staff are, are preparing for that. It's going to be loud. It's going to be difficult. Uh, and no question, Fajardo is going to have to be very good at the nonverbal communication because when that crowd gets rocking at IG Field, it is something to contend with. That's a huge advantage uh, the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have. Uh, is home field. It really is like a place almost like no other in the CFL. It is in the stadium. I'll just leave it at this. It's a stadium that is on Chancellor Matheson uh, Boulevard here in Winnipeg at the University of Manitoba. And Chancellor Matheson was the first chancellor of the university. 
I call IG Field the madhouse on Matheson. It is a real sight to behold, and I don't even think television does it justice because the, the visuals um, and the sound just aren't conveyed through TV the way it is uh, being in that stadium. It literally shakes. No, I, I, I agree with you. I, I, mean, I think, well, I know, Cliff, you've been there. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it, we always say, uh, guys, it's that when you're going to go see any type of sporting event, you know, if you want to get the real gist of what it's like, you have to be there in person. You really can't, as you said, you really can't see what, what it is like on television at all. That's right. Yeah, can confirm. Uh, I, I was actually there for the uh, 2016 uh, home opener. It was, it was Bombers versus Alouettes, and just when uh, maybe it's because he's a hometown boy, but when Andrew Harris came out, I think it was his first game as a bomber. The, the pop yeah. was phenomenal. Like I, I looked around like, did Jesus Christ walk out or something? Like this is incredible. Like, like the no, you're absolutely right. The noise level was just sensational. So, yeah, I definitely see that being a, a factor tomorrow as well. So I, I have to believe that Coach Moss is definitely getting his his troops ready for that because yeah. One thing about Winnipeggers is they will bring the noise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And not, uh, and not air horns, too. Like, you guys will make no. real noise. <laughs> no, not too many air horns, not too many. Well, I would almost say no air horns uh, and not too many cowbells is, is popular in many Western uh, CFL markets. It says the CFL's loudest fans right on, uh, you know, the, the end walls uh, of the stadium and uh, the drum line is something that kind of gives that college football feel uh, to, to the atmosphere. And it's something that I've noticed, uh, you know, people that watch the Blue Bombers on TV and have never been at uh, a Blue Bombers game really notice. It brings a, 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 almost like a, a warming, welcoming element to, uh, you know, the, the raucous crowd of, of 30, roughly 30,000 every week. It's, uh, it's a pretty cool place to, to take in a game. But Thursday's going to be fun, man. Uh, Montreal's defense, uh, if, if they're able to flex their muscle, like uh, I know that they can, and I think uh, you know all the fans out there listening know that they can, I think this is going to be a close football game. I really do. Yeah, well, I was about to say, one of the huge, few differences between these two teams from the last time they met in on Canada Day is the acquisition of, uh, of Sean Lemon. I, don't, I actually don't know, and this is what I'm going to ask you, how has he been versus Caleros and the Bombers over his, over his career? Because obviously, you know, most of them know it as being a Western guy when he was there, Stance and whatnot. Yeah. How, is, how has Sean Lemon been, been versus the, uh, the Stampeders in his career? Uh, sorry, versus the Bombers in his career? Yeah, you know, nothing really jumps out to me, I'll be honest. Uh, I asked Zach Kolaris about Sean Lemon uh, this week and, you know, complimented him. And then you said, you know, he's, he's been playing at a high level for a long time. But then he also ended it by saying, I don't want to compliment him too much with a smile <laughs> on his face, right? And, uh, you know, just a little bit of playful playfulness there from the Blue Bombers quarterback. But, yeah, they're going to be aware of Sean Lemon. Uh, you know, through the years, I remember maybe Charleston Hughes being more of a, of a menace to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, than Sean Lemon. But yeah, no doubt. I mean, Sean Lemon has sacked every quarterback that's played in this league for nearly two decades. So, um, you know, it's been uh, it's been pretty cool to see uh, the Lemonator reemerge once again uh, and, and uh, you know, silence all of his doubters uh, with, with the way he's been playing and getting to the quarterback this season. Mm-hmm. Makes, you, makes you wonder why the Bombers didn't keep him. Like, he was on the practice roster back in 2011. It makes you wonder what happened, why he, he just didn't, stick around yeah i i don't know the, the the details of that but that was his first stop in the cfl and you know never dressed for a game 
I think he was a training camp cut. I could be mistaken, but uh, yeah, you know, similar to Kevin Glenn being a, you know, a paper member at least of, of every uh, CFL team, Sean Lemon, I, I think there's just one team remaining for him that he has not um, been a member of uh, at some point, right? Correct. That would be Hamilton. And we've already told the Tiger Cats that, no, you, you can't have him. Not, not now. Not now. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I, I'm excited for this game uh, Thursday. Uh, I mean, at IG Field, it's, it's like I said, the, the atmosphere is going to be electric. There's no question about that. You're, you're talking about two teams that are about as evenly matched as far as I'm concerned. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's going to be a, a 20 to three game for either team. I, I definitely think this will be, as you said, a much more tightly contested affair. Uh, really, truly. I, I just, it, it, it's so weird. Like the Thursday night football is something that we used to see a lot in Montreal. We haven't, there's only one Thursday game. The Alouettes are going to play this year and it's actually this coming game. Uh, again, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, both of these teams can do. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to a, a really entertaining battle. Well, if I can spin the dynamic around, I would love to ask you guys, you know, before I do my, my pregame show on Bonfire Sports uh, on Thursday morning, what is the key in your minds uh, of, you know, uh, Montreal finding success and, and snagging a road win uh, in a really tough place to play? I, Jim, do you want to? Yeah, well, I think for me, I want to make, I want to see what, where, where Cody is at, because obviously it's two weeks off. Um, uh, he, he passed for over 200 yards the last time that these two teams played, but obviously nothing came of it, you know, uh, no, no, inter, you know, no touchdowns. Um, for me, it's, uh, I want to see what Cody's going to do, uh, especially in the first quarter. Uh, it's funny. The Alouettes in this game also are going to have the, the, uh, what we like to call the, the, the three headed monster running back. It didn't do much when it came, you know, the last time that these two teams played, but you know, it was, William Stanbeck seems to be doing quite well. We saw what Walter Fletcher's been able to do. Um, I, I think these guys just and just need, just need to get going. It's it's again. It's for me. It's really looking at the uh, the offense and seeing what Cody can do. But for me, also uh, specifically, uh, you know, especially the last time that these two teams played, uh, it's curious to see how KB and Ento does on the uh, in on defense. Him switching sides by Coach Thorpe. Uh, was one of the, the the best things that he could have done for this player. Uh, he's been playing very well. Uh, seems to be uh, very high on on his play, and you know he seems to have uh, since then since that switch out and uh, bit just being decimated when he was playing versus Toronto. Um, he's done really well. So it's I, I'm curious to see what's going to happen because again, seventeen last time the two team played seventeen three. You know, a lot of people say that, you know, really Winnipeg did dominate, even though with with the two-hour delay. Um, but I, I, again, I, I I don't see this this being that type of, of game itself. I think, like, you guys are going to be close. But for me, again, going back, I think it's it's going to be all about the offense and seeing how, how Cody does to start to start the game. Cliff? Well, let's be real, guys. You know, Cal- Calgary at Toronto, Hamilton at BC, Ottawa at Edmonton, the other three games in the CFL Week 12. Montreal at Winnipeg, it's the game of the week to kick things off on Thursday. It's going to be great. 100%. And I think back to last year, it was around this time last year where the Alouettes handed the Blue Bombers their first loss of the season. Uh, Again, nobody in the world. In fact, I even bet Gary Stern, the owner of the Alouettes, I said, if the Alouettes somehow come away with a win, I I will donate to the Montreal Alouettes Foundation. And sure enough... uh, even though Mark Leggio in overtime 
bricked the field goal that could have at least tied the game or would have t- no would have t- no it would have won the game I think for them and yeah Montreal actually got the win at IG Field which was something that nobody had predicted so it's I, I think for Montreal like they got to know that okay we can win in this place we can win in this barn and I think if they go in with that mindset especially with the defense I I, I know Winnipeg's going to be raring to go I I, I think the, the real chess master is going to be Buck Pierce versus Noel Thorpe as far as offense versus mm-hmm. defense between like two coaches that really have their schemes down uh, two coaches that really relish the position mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the real battle like everybody talks about O'Shea versus Moss and you know, as they should but uh, you you alluded to it earlier with the the coordinators like Buck Pierce as far as I'm concerned, one of the the better offensive minds in the CFL versus Noel Thorpe, whose defense has always drawn rave reviews. The, to me, that's going to be the the real matchup, if you will, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. You know, J.R. Reed, Tyrese Beverett, uh, you know, the the fronts that the the Montreal Alouettes bring, Marc Antoine Decroix on the back end, and and the dual responsibilities he'll have against uh, the Blue Bombers' run game and pass game. Uh, those are the guys I'm really focused on. And I even asked a lot of Blue Bombers players this week uh, about Tyrese Beverett and, and, uh, and Reed and, and, of course, Lemon. Uh, and, you know, they speak incredibly highly of, of those players and, and the defense as a whole. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Buck Pierce, uh, you know, Buck Pierce's offense versus Noel Thorpe's defense is probably uh, the, the one phase of the game I'm going to be looking most into as well. No, it's 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 going to make for a very entertaining game. That that much, I'm I'm not one for making guarantees, but I guarantee that this will be an entertaining battle. I just don't see it being a blowout for either team. I think this will be a, a real knockdown, dragout kind of affair, and it'll be just yeah. absolutely fun to watch. And a, a perfect way to kick off this coming week of Canadian football. No question, no question. Always good games between these two teams in Winnipeg. Always. Exactly. So, yeah. We're we're so spoiled. That's good. We <laughs> <laughs> are. All right, Darren. We've taken up more than enough of your time. We definitely appreciate you joining us. Uh, tell everybody about Bonfire Sports if they haven't already checked you out. Which, if you haven't, shame on you. But let let our, let our listeners know what Bonfire is all about and how they can find you on social media. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, doing Bonfire Sports uh, for the last uh, two and a half years. We're in our third season of uh, CFL coverage and Blue Bombers coverage. We do pregame, postgame, and midweek uh, shows. We do all of those live. Chris Walby, the legend, uh, you know, of uh, you know, on the field and off the field, calling ten Grey Cups for uh, the CBC, um, uh, joins me uh, every week for Blue Bombers pregame coverage. Our postgame show. Uh, is an absolute blast. It's game day after dark. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, looking forward to getting into hockey this year. So if anybody wants to uh, check out uh, the Winnipeg sports scene, and, and you know, really, we, we do cover uh, the entirety of the CFL on Bonfire Midweek on Wednesday nights. Uh, you can find everything on bonfiresports.ca. And you can find us pretty much everywhere, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you search for Bonfire Sports. So, um, invite everybody to uh, grab a seat around the bonfire, uh, crack a, a cold beverage, uh, and join the conversation because that's what it's all about. You heard it, folks. That's it right there. Darren, once again, thank you so much for joining us here on the Flight Deck. Appreciate your insight as always. And once again, we are looking forward to an absolutely fantastic football game this coming Thursday. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. 
Really appreciate you guys having me on. It's been my pleasure and keep up the great work. Love what you guys are doing on the flight deck. Thanks again for Darren for coming on the show, eh, Cliff, because uh, I will admit I've watched him before when when they're doing their show on YouTube and stuff like that. The guy really knows what he's talking about when it comes to the Blue Bombers and uh, couldn't have a better guy to, to come on and give us a preview of the Alouettes versus Bombers this uh, this Thursday. Yeah, definitely appreciate Darren's insight. Uh, he's definitely dialed in. He, he follows this league uh, fervently and uh, definitely someone who, you know, can definitely shed light as, uh, you know, what's going on in the uh, the 204, as they say. So thanks again, Darren, for joining us. We definitely appreciate you. And uh, you know you're always welcome back here anytime. So, hey, maybe, maybe this coming November, you know, we, we could be looking at a Grey Cup preview, as crazy as it sounds, but uh, Bombers Alouettes, if they make it to the Grey Cup, uh, I, I could definitely see uh, having Darren back on to talk about possibly the rubber match for this uh, for this series. Oh, you never know. You never know. Never know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before we, I know we we talked about quite a bit, obviously, uh, uh, in the interview itself. But anything out of the ordinary, um, or anything that really stuck out from what uh, what he mentioned during the during our talk? Honestly, nothing really. You know, nothing out of the ordinary. Just uh, you know, again, just. It, there's no question that Winnipeg is going to be a tough game. I mean, but you, you've seen how the Bombers have played over the past couple of weeks. I mean, it's they can go from like beating the crap out of a, a team to to fighting for their lives. And I, I won't necessarily call it inconsistent, but I mean, like the the way the way they've been playing. I mean, I'm a, I, I I I struggle to use the term beatable. Mm-hmm. But because technically every team is beatable, I mean, when you think about it. But uh, I mean, you know, Winnipeg's going to come into this game looking to to keep things going. They 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 are one of the top tier teams in this league, without question. And I'll go so far as to say, as Montreal should be in that tier as well. I mean, we talked about the three tiers of the Canadian Football League and how it's basically Winnipeg, Toronto, and BC when Vernon Adams is playing. Like those are that's that's the top tier. Montreal is just knocking on the door as far as I'm concerned. Like they are that that team that could be easily be a top tier team. A couple of bounces here and there and this this they could be one of the elite teams in this league. And some would even argue that they probably are right now. It's just nobody's either wanting to acknowledge them as such or maybe even truly appreciate what they've done so far. And a victory against the Blue Bombers this coming Thursday would definitely help the argument that yeah this is a top tier team they should be in that conversation but until that happens yeah montreal is kind of right on the cusp like as i said they're like a glass ceiling like you can you can see that top level it's just how do you break that break through that glass ceiling and and join that exclusive club and if if montreal can find a way to win against uh, the the bombers especially at ig field which they did last year and uh, it, was, it, was, it was quite the exciting game. If, if Montreal could do that again, come away with a W, yeah, you, you, you would have almost no choice but to acknowledge this team as a top-tier team. Because it's easy to say, well, who have the Alouettes beaten? Like, they've beaten some good teams. They've beaten some not-so-good teams. But a victory against the Blue Bombers, against one of those quote-unquote top-tier teams, would definitely go a long way in changing a lot of people's minds and 
they'd have no choice but to acknowledge that, yeah, this this Alouette team is for real, and they are definitely in that upper echelon. Yeah, yeah. By the way, you're talking about uh, people not not seeing is not believing, or whatever the term is. You know, I look at the line specifically for this week, and 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 I looked at it, and I, I told you about it, and you know, yesterday we were when we were watching and listening to the guys over the turf district, you know, at that time, the line for this game was, was eight and a half in favor of, for the Winnipeg blue bombers. Well, you and I go to start our, our, our interview today with, uh, with Darren and it's up to nine. I understand everything's based off of the, the line off the, you know, off of this and that and the other. And I was thinking that it was, bec- that the line itself was set like that because of the, uh, you know, not knowing about what, what's going to happen with Cody Rajardo and more than likely that Winnipeg is, is going to have Zach Caleros under center. I would have thought this number would have changed. I honestly think this game alone, when it comes to the betters, this to me is one of the biggest slaps in the face of all year. I You know, I just feel that it's so much disrespect. But you know what? The team has been disrespected all season long by everybody no matter what mm-hmm. we've done. So you know what? Go ahead and make us a 9-point underdog. Go ahead and make us a 10-point underdog. Because you know what? We're going to come, we're going to slap in the face, and it's very possible that we're going to walk away with a victory. Without question. I mean, this this team has proven, if nothing else, as I said, no team in the CFL makes better halftime adjustments. So even if it looks pretty grim at halftime, and once again, I, I fully expect Alouette's Nation to crap all over the decisions being made and everything like that, because they just can't help themselves. And it's unfortunate. Like, and I'm just going to sit there like, okay, well, yeah, if, if they play terrible football, they play terrible football, but they figure it out. And the only thing you can hope for is as long as it's a close game. And even if they're down at the half within a touchdown or maybe even two touchdowns, like they were against Ottawa, the Alouettes will get to figure it out. And, that's kind of the, the mindset there that you, you almost have to take is that this team is not out. I mean, if they're down, they're down, they may be down, but they're not out. They, they will find a way to come back. They will get it figured out that they'll flip that switch as we keep talking about. And all of a sudden this will be a very competitive game and I'm not guaranteeing a win by any stretch. Don't, don't get me wrong, but Montreal is, uh, I, I can't help but laugh at this nine point uh, spread as well. I'm like, Okay, fine. Like uh, I'm almost at the point. It's like I'll take your free money. Like I, I think the Alouettes can cover. I, I, I think the Alouettes can, can, can make this a very tightly contested affair. And don't be surprised. Like win or lose, I, I, I the Alouettes are definitely going to make this a competitive game. Like I think these two teams are a great matchup. We we talked about the chess game. I think between Noel Thorpe's defense and Buck Pierce's offense. Mm-hmm is going to make for a very entertaining game without question. And both co- both quarterbacks coming back from injury, they they've got something to prove as well to their to their their fan base. They they want to show that they they're back and ready to go for the second half of the season. I, I mean, okay, I you, you want to look at this uh, a 9 point uh, spread as a slap in the face? Okay. Well, you know, the Alouettes will take that. I I'm pretty sure they will. But that's the thing. You you got to keep this team down. You got to do everything you can. You got to put them away, and that's something that these over the past four games teams have simply not been able to do to the Alouettes. Is that they might get ahead, but they can't stay ahead. They they let the Alouettes hang around and come back, or the Alouettes set the tone, and there's just no 
no no no beating them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there there's so many different ways that the Owls have been able to win and maintain this four game winning streak. And truthfully, I, I see them going into IG Field and definitely playing some outstanding football. Uh, again, I'm not guaranteeing a win, but I I am guaranteeing that this will be a tightly contested affair and just a fun fun game to watch. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I, again, uh, stay tuned for, uh, for the next episode of Flight Deck Live. You will be seeing it scheduled on, uh, it will be available on Twitter and on YouTube. Make sure you, again, hit that bell button so you'll see when we're going to schedule it to go live. Um, I know there were a couple of transactions that we wanted to con- comment on real quickly before we let you guys go. Um, and, you know, you know, we've been talking about all year, Cliff, about, how injuries have played a factor for the Alouettes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now being that the transaction page is working again, dun dun dun. <laughs> better, better late than never. <laughs> uh wide re- at Montreal wide receiver Jake Hardy, Montreal wide receiver Courtney Davis have been placed on the six-game injured list through September 24th. They now actually have the dates listed here. Uh, Philippe Gagnon has also been extended on the six-game to September 24th. So we are now down again two wide receivers, and again we are hit with the injury bug. So whatever part, you know, I think Courtney, I think it was a, a foot or an ankle, if I'm not mistaken. But, and I think, I think we saw Jake took a hit this past week, if I'm not mistaken. I, I go back and check and see what was, what was listed specifically in the uh, transaction, in the uh, practice report. But still, dude, it's, it, it it's, uh, it's a leg. It's a leg for Jake Hardy. It's just frustrating, isn't it? It is, but. As this team has shown, the resiliency and the, the very much the next man up mentality couldn't be more true. And this is where you get to see the depth. You get to see the guys that you know maybe have been a little bit quiet in training camp, or even the guys that sit out in training camp. But because of the sheer numbers game, they ended up relegated to the practice roster or even outright released. Again, once again, best example of that: Reggie Stubblefield. Mm-hmm. had a, a fantastic camp. We expected a lot out of him. We expected him to make the, the cut. He didn't. But injuries started happening, and Reggie came back. And now good luck getting this guy off the field because he's just been playing outstanding football. And that's, once again, a great example of being ready when your number is called. And I would say that to anybody that's on the practice roster right now. And, again, the Alouettes are going to have to start adding people to the practice roster because, yeah, these – these injuries are starting to pile up, and it's concerning. It's definitely something that uh, you know most teams would worry about. But now you're getting to see the kind of depth you're getting to send the moves that Danny Machocha made in the off season and throughout camp, and even all the way up to today. Even, I mean, he is being tested. He 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 is being tested as far as being able to find the talent that's out there, and has done a pretty good job. I mean. Look at the Tyler Sneeds, the Austin Max, uh, the Courtney Davises before he got hurt. Like these are guys that were given the opportunity and made the most of it when the the more established players spent their time on the injury list. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna see. Like now that Tyson Philpott's back and you know he, he starts developing that that rhythm again with uh, with Cody Fajardo and 
I, I, he's going to be going off in a big way. I can, I can feel it. And that's what this team does is just reload. Yeah. Guys go down to injury, but who's next? Who's going to step up now? Who is going to come be a part of this team? And who's going to be the next potential superstar? Because now he's finally getting his chance to play and is going to do great things like that. That's always the question when it, when it comes to injuries is, yeah, you're, you're concerned because a lot of these names that are on the injury list are some pretty big names and some very talented players. But now it's just a matter of let's see where the depth is. Let's see what needs to be done. And you know Danny Machocha, if he has to reload, if he has to go out and find more talent, he will. And his track record's been pretty good so far when it comes to finding Guys that you you may not have heard of, and uh, you don't know what they were doing last year, but all of a sudden they get on this team, they put on the the jersey, and uh, wow, there's some talent right here, mm-hmm. and that that's part of the fun. And you know what? That's why I I just don't even worry. Like as soon as you mentioned, okay, we we released so and so, or we signed so and so, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, he he's earned as far as I'm concerned, Machocha's earned the the benefit of the doubt as far as okay, who is this? Doesn't matter. He'll he'll come on here and he'll do well. Just because that's... He seems to be doing a very good job of finding the right players, the right people to fit into the system who can come in and be a productive member of this organization. So there's no doubt in my mind as far as scouting, as far as being able to restock the war chest, as far as being able to find those diamonds in the rough. Mm -hmm. I'm not... It's it's not a concern at all. So all we can do at this point is just as guys go on the injury list, hope they heal up, hope they come back better and stronger than ever. And, you know, just keep on and KB on. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, We appreciate every single one of you for joining us this week for the, uh, for the, for the Alouette's flight deck podcast. We'll be back next week uh, to talk about uh, the game versus Winnipeg and uh, what's to come next uh, for the Montreal Alouettes. So Cliff, uh, I will see you on Flight Deck Live, and we hope to see you guys there too. So for everybody here at the Alouettes Flight Deck for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on Final Approach. Take off to the great white north. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Take off to the great white north. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.